Welcome to the Cancer Care Connect workshop. At this time, all participants are in listen-only mode. During the workshop, you will hear from our panel of expert speakers. We'll allow time for questions and comments following the presentation. Instructions will be given at that time. If anyone should require assistance during the workshop, please press star then zero on your touchstone telephone. As a reminder, this workshop is being recorded. I would like to introduce your moderator for today's workshop, Dr. Carolyn Mesner, Director of Education and Training at Cancer Care. Please go ahead. Oh, thank you so much, Michelle, and I too would like to welcome everyone to today's workshop for caregivers' practical tips for coping with your loved one's lung cancer. And this is part three of Living with Lung Cancer. And today's program is a partnership with the Longevity Foundation and Cancer Care, and we're delighted with this partnership. Actually, it's been a partnership on all of our lung cancer programs, and we are delighted to be partnering with them. It's a wonderful resource, and you're going to be hearing much more about the Longevity Foundation very soon. Um, and today's program is supported by Crystal Myers Squibb, an educational grant from Daiichi Sanko, Inc., and a grant from Genentech, so that... Um, we are delighted to have their support, not only for this program, but for many of our programs that we offer. Now, we have on the program today over 158 participants, and you come from all over the United States, from both urban, rural, suburban, and frontier communities, and we also have international participants from Canada, France, and the UK, so a bit of a global call as well. And um, I'd like to thank all of you for spending the next hour with us to learn more about the caregiver issues when coping with a loved one's lung cancer. Now, before I introduce our first speaker, um, I just have a few questions I'd like to ask all of you, and you'll be able to rate those questions. Um, those of you who are live streaming the program will be able to do that. Um, so I'm going to begin with our first question. And our first question is, on a scale of one to five, with one the highest rating and five the lowest rating, please select your rating. I understand the role of caregiving and the caregiver's role in decision-making for a loved one living with lung cancer. One is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. And the next question is, I understand the role of the caregiver in helping to manage a loved one's lung cancer, including adherence, comorbid health problems, and follow-up care. Again, one is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. And the next question is, I know how to manage family, partners, friends, and traditions in the context of COVID-19. Again, one is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. And now just two more questions. I know self-care tips for coping with the stress of caring for a loved one living with lung cancer. Again, one is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. And then the last question is, I understand the role of long-distance caregivers for a loved one living with lung cancer. Again, one is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. So 
So I want to thank you all for participating in these questions. Um, it really helps us to better understand um, what you need um, as you enter this program, and it helps us to better plan programs into the future. So thank you. And our next, now it was my pleasure to introduce our first speaker. And our first speaker is Dr. Stuart Fleischman. Dr. Fleischman is former founding director, Cancer Support Services, Continuing Cancer Centers of New York, author, researcher in oncology. Dr. Fleischman will be addressing the important role of caregivers in communicating with the healthcare team, challenges and opportunities in communicating with the healthcare team, the caregiver's important role in keeping appointments and treatment ad adherence, including re refueling prescriptions, coping with comorbid health problems, health concerns, and guidelines to prepare for telehealth, telemedicine appointments, including technology, prepared list of questions, and discussion of open notes. It's my pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Fleischman. Thank you, Dr. Messner, and thank you, everybody, for tuning in today. As I was going over the list of topics uh, that Dr. Messner had asked me to review, I thought, boy, it's like I'm giving a whole bunch of homework assignments. There's a lot to do. And um, you, uh, as well as all of your providers, should realize how much of a responsibility and how many tasks it actually takes to be a good caregiver, but also how rewarding the experience can be um, to help take care of someone you love at, a, at a, a difficult point in their lives. So it's with that in mind that I will go over the list of tasks, which um, I, I think I leave out a number of them um, just because it is so broad, but we'll try to touch on the ones that Dr. Messner suggests. So um, role of caregivers in communicating with the healthcare team uh, has changed and it's become more essential. Um, often caregivers um, have felt in recent years feeling left out of the process of communicating with the healthcare team because of the um, perceived issue of privacy concerns. But we know that people do best when they have social support and support of the people who they love and trust, and because much of cancer care can be somewhat complicated and the um, things that we need you to do at home can be complicated. Having someone you know and trust being on the conversation can be extremely helpful. Um, so uh, this challenge of um, feeling excluded has now been turned into an opportunity because now uh, as long as the patient is agreeable, you can be invited in and you should be invited in to the discussions. That then becomes difficult because if you don't live near the patient or if you don't live near the center where the patient is treated, it can be difficult as far as traveling. Sometimes people would fly great distances to get to a doctor's appointment um, to see the, one of the oncologists or a member of the treatment team. But now because a number of the appointments are conducted on telehealth, on a on an audio device like a telephone or an audio video device like a tablet or a phone that has those capabilities or on a computer, you can join from pretty much wherever you are as long as you have a connection to a Wi-Fi, to a, a network that can, um, that can get you uh, in on the call. 
Um, we realize that that's a limitation for many people uh, who don't have that. But for the people who do, they can really enter into the conversation, help the patient prepare for the visit, reminding them uh, of what questions they have or helping them think of what questions they may have to the team about the treatment that they're getting, the, the ins and outs of the care, what the patient has to do um, for appointments, medication times, tests, um, answer questions about just the, the process of uh, having cancer and how the treatments work and what, why, why they're designed to do what they do and why timing is very important for many of the treatments that are uh, asked. So you, a, a family member or a trusted friend can be part of this conversation, even if they live far away and they don't just have to be right on the scene in person. And that is a big opportunity. Uh, and this can get somewhat complicated. We try to make it as simple as possible under the best of circumstances, but it's not always. And especially in lung cancer treatment, there's been such a revolution in lung cancer treatment in the last couple of years, um, where in addition to surgery, radiation therapy, and intravenous chemotherapy, there are a number of oral and some additional intravenous medicines that actually target the lung cancer cells in particular if they show a certain type of genetic information on the, in the cell. And those have revolutionized care. Uh, patients can, or, are sometimes even offer those treatments in advance of some of the traditional treatments as a lead-in to reduce the size of the cancer. Hopefully, there would be um, a better response. There are a number of different variations of this, and it is really personalized, uh, which is why the term personalized medicine has been developed, and it is very, very, very evident in treatment for lung cancer. That brings up many caregiving issues because there are often more appointments, there are more medications. Sometimes these medications uh, don't come from your regular pharmacy. They may come from a specialty pharmacy who may mail them to you or send them to, to you by overnight express. Some of them need extraordinarily complicated prior approvals, and the uh, treatment team is well aware of that, but needs to be working on them in advance so that they're available to you on the day that it's supposed to, supposed to be administered. It's much more complicated than it was before, and that often turns into more tasks for a caregiver. So caregivers are helping to sort of manage things behind the scenes in addition to doing the usual things, having meals, um, keeping the house in order, shopping, um, the, the long, long list of things that it takes to take care of someone in the midst of their treatment. So just be aware that if you feel like things are a lot more complicated than they used to be, you're right, they are. And um, cancer care and longevity uh, are here to help you sort that out and understand exactly why it's important for medications to be given on time 
the kinds of uh, side effects that you may be feeling from the, the cancer or from the treatment and how to interface between all the different people on the healthcare team who are rarely in the same room at the same time. Uh, that's another way that telehealth has actually been an advantage for people despite all of the um, difficulties that it has shown in the pandemic because there are times when two different providers are on the call at the same time with a patient if indeed things need to be coordinated. So um, having the challenge turn into an opportunity has been ever, ever more evident with all the challenges we had during the COVID-19 pandemic and as we're coming out of it. Be certain that um, you know who to call of, in the team. And uh, as, as you move from surgery to radiation to chemotherapy, that individual may change. There may be, a, a, most often is a different phone number to call. Uh, some of the larger cancer centers actually have not an answering service like we're used to, but um, nurses who often are, take the calls during the day and sometimes at night, uh, and those those folks have access to the medical, the electronic medical record, and can get messages to the people based upon um, what the question is about. In smaller centers, you need to know um, to call uh, someone in radiation if you're in the middle of radiation, um, if you're just after surgery, the surgeon's office, or during chemotherapy, whether it's intravenous or oral chemotherapy, someone in the infusion area or in the medical oncologist's office. But knowing who to call is really important, especially knowing what the proper number is to call um, off hours because all of us know that the most um, difficult challenges sometimes happen um, after hours. The other, um, the other thing that's important is that all of us, when we have a serious illness, also have chronic medical problems that need attention. And sometimes that would go back to the primary care provider that you had been seeing before the cancer developed. Sometimes there's a specialist in the cancer center that would help with that, especially if you're being treated in another city or another state where your regular provider is not available. Knowing who that is and how to reach them is essential. And knowing that blood pressure needs to be controlled and high blood sugars need to be controlled and that all may be affected by the treatment is really important. Um, and having that, that care coordinated is especially important. So um, those of us who have uh, lived through the past uh, year and a half with uh, issues regarding the COVID-19 pandemic, all of us have had to struggle to get used to a type of telehealth a visit that we were not used to doing before. And many of us were not trained to do those types of visits before. And it's an adjustment on everybody's part. If you do have a telehealth appointment, there are a number of things to keep in mind in advance. It's a good idea to have questions written out 
so that uh, you don't forget them because sometimes dealing with the device and the uh, transmission and the quality of the call can interfere with you getting all your questions answered. So thinking through the questions you have in advance, writing them down is a good idea. If it's your first telehealth appointment, um, you or the care or your caregiver needs to know exactly what to do. Will somebody call you on the phone at the appointment time? Uh, will somebody call through on your computer? Many of the telehealth visits actually go through the electronic medical record system. And you can't call in. It needs to call you. <laughs> um, knowing exactly how that's going to happen in advance is really important. Having a quiet place, having the device set up, your phone charged, the computer plugged in, Good lighting is important because if the provider needs to see something, let's say a rash, if the lighting isn't good, it's not going to be as easy for them to figure out what to do uh, if you're sitting in a darkened area. So good lighting, quiet place, list of questions. If it's the first call, perhaps the day before the call, uh, if the, the office doesn't reach out to you, you could reach out to the office and do a test run, kind of a dress rehearsal. Um, most offices do this routinely, not every office, but it's very helpful to be able to do that because the connection, the, the, way, you, the, the way that you get the call and the way you connect uh, sometimes is not evident to people who are not used to using computers all day like many of us are. So it's good to have um, a, a bit of a dry run for that. The other thing that has come up over the most recent years is the availability of chart notes and testing with electronic medical records. Um, many of us have what's called a portal. Portal, I think, comes back from the Latin, which goes back to the root for door, where we can enter into the electronic medical record system and see notes or the results of tests that um, the provider is getting. Sometimes the provider needs to look at them in advance and help interpret them for us. Sometimes um, the, the documents or the results will show up in our portals before you and the providers have had a chance to review their meaning. It is critically important that someone help you understand the context of these results um, many of us who are not used to looking at lab tests or imaging reports um, will look at something, and, and let's say in the lab test, there's a result, and the, the lab would give what's a normal range for that test. Um, many of us will feel a sense of accomplishment when we see that everything is within a normal range, uh, but it, it is all context-based. It's all based upon the situation, and often the test being in an abnormal range is what we're hoping and expecting for during treatment. For example, um, if there's a, a, a result of a complete blood count and there's a white blood cell count specified differently depending upon the lab, uh, but it's usually WBC. And how that appears, in, there's a, a, a daily range of what's normal in the lab in that machine on that day. If during treatment, um, it, it, it may change. It may become lower. And if it doesn't, um, although it may be very gratifying to see that it's in the normal range, that's important for the team to know. 
So having things all look normal may not be the best, and it needs to be um, interpreted by someone who understands cancer treatment and what's supposed to happen and all the other conditions that someone has. So um, open notes are good. I, in general, uh, personally, I think having information is, is really good. Um, but this information can sometimes be unfiltered and sometimes can be a bit misleading without the proper way and the the, the proper background to look at it. So if you see reports coming in through your portal, if your, your provider's office use that, please reach out for help. So um, I realize this is a lot of work, lots of tasks, uh, but it's more and more complicated, and it's our uh, hope that through the, the result of all of the discussions that we have and all of the good information that's out on reliable websites websites and sites like longevity that we're able to simplify what's complicated for you so that you can um, really carry through the situation as best as possible. With that, I will turn this back to Dr. Messner. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Fleischman. That was really um, a wonderful start to this program, and we covered a lot of uh, really important topics for everybody, and I know there'll be questions for you during the Q&A. Thank you so much. Thank you. And our next speaker is Ms. Sharon Flynn, and Ms. Flynn is an oncology nurse. She's a nurse practitioner, nursing research and translational science, clinical center, nursing department, National Institutes of Health, clinical research center. And Ms. Flynn will be addressing what research tells us about caregivers, coping with special occasions, birthdays, and holidays, managing family, partners, friends in the context of COVID-19, long-distance caregiving, and self-care tips for coping with stress. It's really my great pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Ms. Flynn. Oh, thank you, Dr. Messner, for the invitation to be on today's esteemed panel. And I would like to warmly welcome all of our caregivers and lung cancer survivors for being on today's call. And thank you for taking time out of your busy day to learn more about the role of the caregiver. Um, I'd also like to welcome your questions and any caregiving tips that you have during the question and answer section of this program coming up later. So I'll start with what research tells us about caregivers. So according to the National Alliance for Caregiving and the American Association for Retired Persons, more than 53 million Americans are caregivers. This is an increase of almost 10 million from 2015. 61% of you are women and 39% are men and come from all generations for caring for family members. Nearly one in five Americans are providing unpaid care to an adult with a health function need. And almost a quarter of our caregivers are caring for more than one person. And 61% of you continue to work while providing care for your loved one. Needless to say, being a caregiver can be stressful. One in five of our caregivers report feeling alone. And caregivers that feel alone report higher levels of emotional stress and physical strain. They describe their health as worse than those who do not feel alone and report more difficulty taking care of their own health and feel their own health has declined as a result of caregiving. Places 
um, centers like Cancer Care and Longevity are two organizations offering support services for caregivers and for people living with cancer. Um, I would like to talk to you about a couple of tips I have for you next about keeping you well um, and how to stay healthy. So the first one is to seek support from other caregivers, which may not always be intuitive. You're caring for someone that has cancer and you're going to ask someone else that has, um, is caring for someone with cancer, um, but you can share tips. Um, tips that I may learn, I definitely will share with you. And same with another friend. It's important to remember that you are not alone um, and that taking care of your own health um, so that you can be strong enough to take care of your loved one. Accepting offers of help and to suggest things that people can do to help you. Um, and we're going to talk a little bit more about that later in this program. As Dr. Fleshman um, talked about earlier, um, one of the ways to reduce caregiving stress is to communicate effectively with your medical team. And just as Dr. Fleshman said, having the, those lists of questions and concerns before you start your appointment is um, definitely helpful um, so that you're not rushing at the last minute to try and think of questions or um, calling the team back because you forgot something. Other uh, tips that I have is to take frequent respite breaks. Um, and that doesn't mean just going to the grocery store and getting the week's worth of groceries, but really taking some time for yourself, going on a walk, catching up with a friend, um, really devoting that time um, for yourself. We also, um, we're going to talk about later in this program some signs of depression and getting some prof professional help when you need it to be open to new technologies that can help you while you're caring for your loved one. And these new technologies could include electronic medical reminders um, for when your medication is due for either you or the person that you're taking care of, um, devices to help prevent falls, and having um, some applications or apps on your phone or your computer to help um, track when your medications are due, um, to facilitate updating family members um, through electronic resources. Um, other tips that I have for you would be to organize medical information so that it, you can find it easily and that it's up to date. And then finally, giving yourself credit for doing the very best that you can do with one of the toughest jobs that um, is out there. The rewards of caregiving, um, of being able to spend time caring for your loved one are, are definitely powerful. They can give new meaning and purpose to your relationships. Um, when I recently took care of my mom for a couple months following a surgery, we forged a deeper relationship. Um, back at my 18-year-old self, um, I wasn't able to understand the challenges that she had um, in her life, and I certainly was not the listener that I am some um, 40 years later. Um, we had difficult conversations about treatments and end-of-life care, and we were able to have those conversations without feeling rushed. And I don't think I would have had that time um, to talk to my mom about what her um, cares and worries and what future plans she had. 
So I encourage you to have those tough conversations. Um, moving on to coping with um, during special occasions, birthdays, and holidays. So special occasions like holidays and birthdays are even more important um, and precious when someone is facing a serious illness. But even in the best of times, we know that these events can be stressful, let alone if you're trying to juggle a new cancer diagnosis, maybe chemotherapy or treatment, and medical appointments. And so I have some tips for you. So before the special occasion or holiday or birthday, ask your loved one how they would like to celebrate. Remember that their experience is unique to them, and without their input, you may be tempted to pile on a lot of activities, which could be overwhelming to them. Um, talking through your feelings with your loved one can help create lasting memories filled with love and compassion. The next tip is there's no right way to celebrate. Um, if you've gone on apps like um, or opened a magazine and seen um, on Pinterest or like a, a picture-perfect holiday celebration, we know that those only occur on magazines and staged um, movies or, or magazines. So there's no right way to celebrate. Be creative. Think of ways to modify your celebration um, in order to incorporate everyone. You may have to, have to substitute a particular activity, especially um, during the COVID pandemic. Um, if you had, are used to having a large family gathering indoors, you may have to separate that um, and celebrate a couple times with smaller family gatherings and even outdoors. Focus on what is most important to your loved one and how you can incorporate the love and support of family and friends into that holiday or that celebration. As a caregiver, be sure to ask yourself, what can realistically be done? In the past, did you host these large events, um, clean your house, cook for days, um, and, and prepare special treats? Is that something you can realistically tackle now? Um, reassess that. Does it have to be um, you cooking all of the meals? Um, or can you have other family members and friends attending the celebration bring things? Be sure to communicate um, to your family and friends what pressures you have on you during a typical day. You may even have to describe what a typical day looks like um, while you're caring for your loved one. Help family and friends understand by telling them what you need um, to be done. Um, and that includes what COVID precautions, if they're coming to visit, they need to take. Um, it can be hard to ask and receive um, help, but remember that others are often very grateful for the opportunity to do something for you. And you make it easier for them when you have a clear um, task or instructions of what you need. Again, using technology, um, emails, social media sites, or other websites to help you generate that list. And then even uh, friends or family can go to that particular list and sign up for maybe a meal or maybe um, to walk a pet that you have at home to help you. One thing that I learned when I faced a, a serious health crisis um, a while ago was having a family spokesperson. Um, my husband was overwhelmed with taking care of me and just couldn't get on emails or answer too many phone calls from family members. 
And so we have a very dear friend, family friend who stepped into that role and was the spokesperson at a time when my husband was just too overwhelmed. And while it seems like a small task, it was life-saving for all of us um, to be able to give family and friends updates without burdening the, the primary caregiver um, with another task. Um, please ask your healthcare provider about any specific medical concerns that you have that might impact your ability to celebrate. Um, does your holiday tradition involve fasting or maybe eating meals at designated times that are a little bit different from where you, your meal time is right now? Um, let your healthcare giver know if you're planning a trip so that maybe they can adjust your medication schedule or if you need fasting. Um, without that conversation with your healthcare provider, it might not be safe for you to fast or to readjust your medication schedule. So please have a conversation with them. And next, moving into um, managing family, partners, and friends in the context of the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, be sure to keep yourself and your loved ones safe by um, wearing that cloth mask when you walk out, that's um, when you um, walk into um, outside of your door, into a hospital um, that covers your nose and mouth. And remember your hand washing either with soap and water for 20 seconds or using hand sanitizer with at least a 70% alcohol content. So communication is the key here again with COVID-19, not only to um, managing your medical appointments and what, um, whether you need to wear a mask um, or not wear a mask going into your healthcare provider, whether you've been vaccinated or not vaccinated, but also to communicate that to family and friends that might want to visit with you. Um, family and friends may not know what the current COVID restrictions are for someone um, in your area, um, and it may depend on what state you live on, if you're in the United States, or even what district you are. There might be different rules um, so that they rely on you to communicate that information to you. And just some get general guidelines that I have. Um, would be before you allow anyone into your home to just screen them for anybody that might be sick. So COVID-19 um, symptoms can mimic those of seasonal allergies, sinus infections, and even the flu. So if anyone has symptoms, um, ask them to, to visit at another time because it's just not worth that risk to pass potentially COVID-19 onto your loved one. Um, at my front door, I have extra cloth masks and hand sanitizer. So if someone comes and they weren't prepared um, to wear a mask inside my house, I have, I have masks right by my door and um, hand sanitizer. So even our smallest friends um, that have trouble hand washing um, sometimes, some children, um, we can help them out there. Next, I wanna talk about long distance caregiving. And these are caregivers um, who are not living with the person receiving care. And they can take on many different roles and provide relief for that local caregiver. They can help with finances, money management, or even bill paying. They can arrange for in-home care by hiring a professional caregiver or someone that can provide respite care during the day, maybe for a couple hours, so you as the caregiver could um, go out. 
Um, they can also help obtaining medical equipment. Long-distance caregivers can be a great source of emotional support. They can serve as that information coordinator by researching different topics, such as do you have questions about your insurance bills um, or you need pre-authorization for something. Um, you can assign um, a long-distance caregiver to potentially help you with that. They can keep family and friends updated and informed. They can schedule uh, medical appointments and manage uh, re prescription refills. They can also help coordinate meal deliveries, yard work, grocery shopping, and family meetings. And most of all, they can have fun with you. Um, you can get on a call either with a phone or maybe like a Zoom call, um, you know, with a video um, and play games, share stories, open the scrapbook and um, talk about um, different stories from your family. And so I'm going to begin to wrap up here by talking about some self-care tips for coping with stress. And if any of you have ever gotten on an airplane, which I'm assuming that most of you have, what is one thing that they say on the airplane? They say um, you must first put on your oxygen mask before you can help anyone else with their mask. And this holds true for being a caregiver. You must first take care of yourself before you can help anyone else. So if you recognize any early warning signs of stress, please seek help. And some of those warning signs might be the temptation or that you are ignoring your own health care needs. Maybe eating poorly, giving up on exercise. If you've lost contact with friends or family members because you feel that you're just too busy um, to pick up the phone or even respond to their phone calls or messages. If you have feelings um, bottling up of frustration, anger, sadness, hopelessness, anxiousness, or depression, if you've had an angry outburst, maybe you're feeling tired all the time, um, or you're sleeping poorly, these are warning signs. And this is a time to seek help, to seek an intervention. You can first start with your social support. Connect with other, fam other people who are seeking um, help and accepting um, or um, are seeking to help you and accept their help. Um, I'm giving you permission to say yes um, to help. Um, I use the example of think of new mothers coming home from the hospital with a new baby. Um, what do we do for them? We cook, we clean, and we jump at the chance to help them out. And so for everyone on this call, your friends and family want to be there. They want to jump out and to help you. Say yes to their help. Um, if they ask if they can cook you dinner or um, run the vacuum or drive you to your appointment, say yes. They're searching for ways to support you, um, and they may not know what can best help you. So having a list is something that I highly recommend, um, and keeping that list handy so that if a neighbor walks up to you and says, what can I do for you this week? You've got a list, so you can ask them. Um, is it walking your dog? Is it mowing the grass? Is it going grocery shopping? Um, is it um, playing a game with your loved ones so that you can take a walk um, or um, go to a movie or find some time um, for yourself? 
finding a role model, um, such as another caregiver that has qualities that you would like to adopt is another great strategy. Um, connect with them. Learn from their tips. Both longevity and cancer care um, have these types of services. Um, is there a religion or spirituality practice um, that you um, have, have um, would like to turn to? Um, turning to God or a higher power, either in a formal religious service or a private spiritual practice, can be helpful. You may also find inspiration in nature through different arts, such as painting or photography, to help relieve stress. Physical activity. Um, now, I'm not asking you to run a marathon, um, but to get up, to move, to get those 10,000 steps in, to not only um, maintain, but to also improve your physical health, to prevent or diminish the effects of a chronic illness. And then we talk about those basics, not only physical fitness, but how is your sleep? Strive for eight hours of sleep at night. Um, are you drinking water? Are you eating your vegetables? These will all promote health. Just as you're taking care of your loved one's medical appointments, make sure that you're also going to your appointments. It can be easy to skip an appointment or two, or you might be tempted to skip um, one of your medications um, and think that it doesn't matter because you're taking care of your loved one. But I want you to know that it does matter, and you matter easy to feel overwhelmed and feel anxious or depressed when you're providing care. Um, and if you are skipping medications or medical appointments or if you feel tempted to, I want you to know that you are important. Please seek help and talk to someone about your feelings. Help is only a phone call away or a phone click away. Some other strategies to reduce stress is to maintain your routine. Um, try to maintain your routine that you and your loved one um, enjoyed prior to the cancer diagnosis. So if you watched a movie at home every Tuesday evening, continue that practice. Or if you had a special meal on Sunday afternoon, try and continue those routines. Remember that you can still enjoy usual activities even after a cancer diagnosis. Stay positive. Try to let go of those distractions and really focus on what is important. Um, sometimes, you know, we think of a cancer diagnosis and I have to remain serious all the time. But remember to smile and laugh. These days can be long and hard. So try to find those breaks to relax and smile and enjoy the company of others. And in conclusion, um, to all of our caregivers and patients, I just want to remind you one last time, you are not alone. There are, are networks like Cancer Care and Longevity to support both you and your loved one going through this often difficult journey. They both have amazing websites and resources that you're going to hear more about, and I would strongly encourage you um, to tap into these resources. Remember, you can do this. I really appreciate your time today, and I'll turn the program back over to Dr. Messner. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much, uh, Ms. Flynn. That was really extraordinary. Just a wonderful, um, really all sorts of tips and wonderful um, suggestions for caregivers um, who are so vitally important um, in in their role um, in terms of caring for people with, 
with lung cancer, and we really um, appreciate all of the suggestions you made. And I know there'll be questions for you during the Q&A, and you've also invited participants, if they wish, to um, suggest tips that have worked for them. So that would be terrific to get those tips as well. That always are any suggestions that anyone has that works for you. So um, please do that. Um, and um, I know there'll be questions for you as well during the Q&A. And our next speaker is Ms. Katie Brown. Ms. Katie Brown is uh, Vice President, Support and Survivorship Programs, Longevity Foundation. And Ms. Brown is actually our partner, our partner organization, Longevity Foundation, on today's program. And um, I, it's really my pleasure to um, introduce my esteemed colleague, Ms. Brown, to you. And she will be talking to you about the Longevity Foundation's free programs and services and how to access them. So it's uh, my pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Ms. Brown. Thank you so much, Dr. Mesner, and thank you to our esteemed expert guests. Um, as a cancer survivor and former small cell lung cancer caregiver, I have an intimate appreciation for this topic today, so thank you. Um, actually, we hosted the first and only Lung Cancer Caregiver Conference for caregivers called the COPE Summit this past weekend, and we definitely know that lung cancer caregivers are unsung heroes and vital to the survivorship of their loved ones. Family caregivers are volunteers who provide physical and emotional care to a loved one with lung cancer, and very often we are not trained for the caregiver job. So if you're new to lung cancer and lung cancer caregiving, please be sure to visit our website, specifically the Lung Cancer 101 section of our Caregiver Resource Center. Um, you can click on the Caregiving Tips page where you can download um, tip sheets and print them off um, for some help with some of the basic uh, topics like transitioning to the caregiving role or talking with your loved one about lung cancer. Um, keeping folks informed about the lung cancer experience and working with your loved one's healthcare team are just a few of the examples. Um, I encourage you to seek and ask for help, get caregiving tips, learn about caregiver fatigue and the importance of taking time out for yourself. You'll also want to visit our Survivor Resource Center, especially the practical support session, section where you can learn about ways to help your loved one with treatment decisions, managing side effects, financial decisions, insurance, and more. Additionally, please call our helpline to talk to an oncology social worker through cancer care, and they can help you manage your emotional, financial, and support challenges that you may have, and that number is 844-360-LUNG. And last but not least, if you are a lung cancer patient or a lung cancer caregiver, you are not alone. Please contact us at Longevity or Cancer Care to plug into the community and to get the support you deserve. Thank you. Oh, thank you, Ms. Brown. And just a wonderful uh, resource for everybody on this call today, a go-to resource, actually. And um, at the end of the, today's uh, program, you'll be all getting, um, probably actually tomorrow, getting an a survey monkey evaluation. And in that evaluation, there is an evaluation that we, of course, appreciate your completing. But there also will be uh, the specific resources for contacting Longevity Foundation, both their helpline, their website, um, and um, a link to that, as well as any other resources that we mentioned during the program. But this is really a major resource for all of you to take advantage of. It's a wonderful, wonderful service. 
And now I'm just going to say a few words about Cancer Care Services. I'm Carolyn Messner. I'm Director of Education Training with Cancer Care. And I'm going to just talk about Cancer Care's free programs and services. And um, so our services are primarily provided by oncology social workers. We have about 35 oncology social workers on staff at this time, and they provide a host of different services. And so what are they? And they're all free. So one is that people often call our 800 number for help, or they may go to our website and post a question. Either way, you'll be um, responded to by an oncology social worker. And people call for all kinds of reasons, for support and information, resources, um, so we're there for that. We also offer practical financial and co-payment assistance, which really makes a big difference. It has since Cancer Care's inception. Cancer Care's been founded in 1944. So it's always been a very important part of our providing financial assistance and practical help to people. The Co-Payment Foundation is also a very important resource. It can provide much larger grants to help to pay for sometimes your chemotherapy or treatments. And if we don't have the funds, we will connect you to an organization that does, another foundation, since there are many, many Co-Pay Foundations in the country. And we also have a case management group. They will help to um, uh, to connect you to resources if we don't have them. So, and they will virtually take you to a place that they think could offer you your help, the help that you need. Perhaps it's around food, getting adequate food, or help with payment for your rent, or any kinds of issues or mortgage. Um, and they will. It could be a, an organization that's either in your community or regional or national as well. Um, and they will actually go with you to connect you. We won't just give you a list of places to call. We will actually take you there. We also have um, a free-to-screen program. Many people have actually not been screening during this time, and so that particular unit is really working with people who contact us about their concerns about being screened um, for different types of cancers and have not really done anything during this COVID period, this ninth this year and a half, and so we'll help them to get um, screening in their communities. Um, we we also have online support groups. We offer about also we offer um, uh, um, many telephone these kinds of workshops, webcasts, um, teleconferences, and those we have about seventy five of them per year, and a number of publications. So that being said, that kind of gives you a thumbnail sketch of all the services we offer at Cancer Care. And um, now, before we move on to the q and I'm just going to ask you a few uh, questions um, before we move on to the Q&A. So I'm going to start with the first question. And our first question is, as a result of what I learned in this workshop, I have greater knowledge of the role of caregiving and the caregiver's role in decision-making for a loved one with lung cancer. Again, one is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. And again, this is, these questions are for people who are live streaming the call. And the next question is, as a result of what I learned in this workshop, I have greater confidence in my knowledge of the role of a caregiver in helping to manage a loved one's lung cancer, including adherence, comorbid health problems, and follow-up care. Again, one is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. And the next question is, as a result of what I learned in this workshop, I have greater confidence in my knowledge of how to manage family, partners, friends, special occasions, birthdays, and holidays in the context of COVID-19. 
Again, one is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. And now we just have two more questions. As a result of what I learned in this workshop, I have greater confidence in my knowledge of using self-care tips for coping with the stress of caregiving for a loved one living with lung cancer. Again, one is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. And the last question is, as a result of what I learned in this workshop, I have greater confidence in my knowledge of the important role of long-distance caregivers for a loved one living with lung cancer. Again, one is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. So again, I want to thank you all for your participation in these questions. It really helps us um, in our planning programs going into the future. So I thank you so much for this next year. We'll be planning a lot of programs, and your feedback really will help us to make these programs more relevant to meet your needs. And now we have time for questions. I'm going to ask Michelle to explain to all of you how to queue up for questions. And Michelle. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, if you would like to ask a question on the web, you may submit them by clicking Ask a Question. And we have a question um, for, um, for Dr. Fleischman. Um, how should I help my mother rem remember her appointments? She gets reminders the day before but has trouble remembering when to leave the house. Any suggestions on that one? Good question. Some of us are wedded to our paper calendars. Uh, I still, despite using electronics, like to have a little list in my pocket of things I have to do that day. Uh, so uh, having a paper calendar that you can fill in in large enough letters um, to be able to be read by someone who may have low vision or blurry vision is one um, easy tool to use. If you're not right there and uh, your mom has some ability to look at a device like a telephone or a, a tablet, then having an electronic calendar that can be filled in is helpful. The reason why the electronic calendar has a slight edge over paper is that you can set alarms so that an alarm goes off. Now, to some uh, people who aren't used to using electronic devices, having an alarm go off can be very frightening. But having the alarm go off followed by a phone call from you can actually um, complete the loop and, and may be helpful. So paper or something electronic, even if it is just a phone call, um, a half hour before, 15 minutes before, it, it looks like the way to go. Thank you. Um, and um, a question from Ms. Flynn. Um, my mother-in-law has a large tumor on her lungs. My husband is not talking about it. Um, he changes the subject when I bring it up. Um, my mother-in-law says she's fine, but I can tell she is stressed. How do I support my husband and mother-in-law? What a great question. And it a bit of a difficult spot that you're in. So we really appreciate your um, your question because I'm sure there's other people on this call that might be in a similar situation. 
And so I would suggest, um, and others um, feel free to, to jump in um, on how they would respond, is seeking out some support um, through an oncology social worker, um, through either cancer care, longevity, um, to first start talking to your mother-in-law um, as the person um, with lung cancer, and um, also reaching out for you separately as to strategies that you can help talk to your husband. Um, I, I'm not sure um, exactly um, what emotions he has, um, why he doesn't want to talk about this topic. There could have been, you know, um, somewhere, you know, not that long ago, cancer was a word that we didn't say out loud um, in company. And so thankfully that has changed, but some of our old habits are a little bit harder um, to change. And so kind of getting at what, what would he like to talk about? So maybe starting that conversation with, um, you know, if, if you aren't able to take care of your mother-in-law, then um, who would be the next best person to kind of help him um, start thinking about where his role is in um, her care? Um, and I open that up to other panel members about how they might address that. I think Ashley, you've done a great job, Ashley, Miss um, Lynn, with that. I, I just want to add that sometimes the person who is concerned about this would want to call for help, um, and I definitely would recommend that you contact um, one of our oncology social workers at Cancer Care to talk about um, what you're experiencing and um, and also um, and go into the more specifics, of course. This is a general call. Also, um, your healthcare team, um, your um, you know your mother-in-law's healthcare team may also be having a, a social worker there on staff as well, who you could talk with as well. And of course, um, you can also call on Seventy Foundation also because that, that is also staffed by um, oncology social workers who could assist you with um, with this question. But it, it's often the person who is um, troubled by something, and everybody else says they're fine, I won't bring it up, that is probably the best leverage we have in terms of beginning to address this issue. And it's I think, as Ms. Lynn has said, this many of people on the call are probably feeling the same way as you are. And if others would like to add things, uh, Dr. Fleischman, if you'd like to add something, please go ahead. I, I think the information that's given can be very helpful. I've pretty much found that sometimes the only way to sit and have a discussion about a hard topic is to sit and say, we have something really hard to discuss. <laughs> and that kind of breaks the ice. Excellent. Okay. Thank you. And um, so here you get to see the healthcare team bit in action right in front of you. So that's really important. Um, and we hope this has been helpful to you. But you do definitely have two resources to call in addition and also your healthcare team that basically um, um, do not leave that out. Um, so another um, question, this one for Dr. Fleischman. My father has stage 3 lung cancer. My brother and I love him so much. It's been hard to, on us seeing him turn from an active man who loved to hike and camp to someone who has a hard time taking a few steps around the block. Um, what can we do to support him? Your thoughts about that, Dr. Fleischman? It is so hard 
to see uh, a close relative or friend um, being sick, uh, and that often includes less energy, less zest for things that they like to do, uh, and, and the process of slowing down. I think that one of the ways to do that is to figure out something that you can do with someone who you love who has diminished capacity, uh, whether it's driving to a place so they don't have to walk around, uh, watching a movie together, doing going through boxes of photos together, whatever is in somebody's um, range of abilities is where you start and try that rather than thinking about what they used to do uh, focus on what they can do and that's generally a relief for people uh, um, thank you very much anyone else want to add to that it's like a very okay, excellent um, I'm going to now um, um, we this is an hour program so I'm going to ask each of our speakers if they would just give a takeaway for each of you to have um, from this program today. So I'm going to start with Dr. Fleischman, just a sentence or two if you'd like people to take away from today's program. Um, I, I think the takeaway message is that lung cancer is a hard disease to have, and it's a hard disease to ha watch uh, in someone you love, uh, but be a part of it. Uh, reach out to the the uh, resources that we spoke about, reach out to your treatment care team. They know what's in your area, and they should be your first stop, and then use the community resources as a backup if they're unable to help you. Thank you. Thank you so much. And Ms. Flynn? Well, that was, that was excellent by Dr. Fleshman. Um, and I, I'm just going to reiterate um, one point that I made um, during my uh, presentation. Um, that we say on airplanes, you've got to put that oxygen mask on you before you can help anyone else. So for our caregivers out there, if you need help, please seek help. Um, try and maintain your normal routines by getting sleep, by exercising, um, by eating well, maintaining your own appointments. By doing all these things for you to stay healthy, you're being there for your loved one with lung cancer and being at 100% to take care of them. Um, it is a tough job, and um, we know that you need lots of help to do it. No one can do it alone. Um, and I'm going to repeat that. No one can do it alone. So the resources are here. Um, please reach out to us. Excellent. Thank you. And Ms. Brown? Um, I absolutely agree. Um, it's a it's a tough job, and you don't have to do it alone. And I concur. This is really um, we have, and we're going to give you all these resources, and please take advantage of them. They're, particularly when they're free, and also um, and your healthcare team also take advantage of them. Now, I do want to, in concluding, I do want to say a few words about um, about this. Um, about many of you who have, well, those of you who have asked a question, but there's some of you who we have many more questions in queue and we're not able to take them all. 
Um, and so, um, and then there are some of you who've thought of another question to ask. So, um, no matter what category you fall into, please um, take your questions back to your treating healthcare team because they know the most about about you and your situation, and they can be of great resource to you. Remember, your healthcare team consists of many different disciplines, and so they can be very, very helpful to you. In addition, you do have the Longevity Foundation to contact and Cancer Care, as and we will provide those that information for all of you to utilize. Um, when you get the Survey Monkey after the program today, there'll be those resources, their their um, their phone numbers, their 800 numbers, and their websites as well. But most importantly, as we conclude the program today, I would not want any one of you to feel alone in coping with lung cancer or any type of cancer. I want you to now know that you're part of a community of support, and we really do care about you and want to be sure that you are um, getting the services that you need. Remember, caregivers are vitally important to um, you know, vitally important, first of all, is people um, who have a right to take care of themselves while they're trying to take care of others and, and be of help to others and to pull in as many supports as they can so they don't wear themselves down at all and that they take good care of themselves. So, again, I want to thank you all for your participation today, and I want to wish you all a very fine day. Thank you all. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for your participation. This concludes the workshop. You may now disconnect. Everyone, have a great day.